Um, how many of you believe that when we read scripture that it is intended for us to A, believe, and B, to act on? Both? Both? A, to believe, B, to act on, right? It's not just one or the other, right? The Bible says if we're just hearers of the word and we don't do something about it, we deceive ourselves, right? That's what it says. Okay, I want to just get you caught up. Well, we've been uh, uh, going through the book of Ephesians. We're about six and a half weeks in. I say half because we've had a couple of short sessions. But we just I just really want to get you caught up because I think it takes us to where we're at today. Um, we have concluded and we're on into, we've concluded chapter three, up to chapter three. But we've taken the last couple of weeks off due to Easter. And we, I just want a quick review. Paul tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us that we're being built together as a dwelling place for God. That's kind of a strange statement, isn't it? Like we're being built together, us, together. We're being built together as a dwelling place for God. And what that means is when we are together, when you see every facet of God when we're together, when we're working together. None of us can do it alone. If we look at the first portion of Ephesians chapter 1, and if you're, you're new to the church or if you're not caught, not caught up with where we're at, I'd encourage you this week to read the first four chapters of Ephesians. But Ephesians chapter 1 gives us all of these blessings that we have when we're in Christ Jesus. I mean, there's just there's like 15, 18 blessings in 15 verses. Uh, we're in him. It's by him. It's through him. We have all of our power through him. We live in him. I mean, it's it, the blessings that are there. Paul says um, in, in chapter 2 that he takes down this wall, that God takes down this wall of hostility. And he was literally talking about a, uh, a barrier in the, uh, in the temple where if, if non-Jews crossed over, there, it was hostile. I mean, they, they literally would get beat up. It was, a, it was a literal thing. And what he's talking about is taking that barrier down between us, regardless of what our differences are. How many of you know we have some differences on occasion? right? We have some differences. We've seen some of those differences play out this past year, right? There are even some differences in what people believe about masking or not masking. How many of you know that can get a little hostile? Anybody got the glare? You're not wearing a mask. I'm sorry, I'll put my mask on. You know, there's this gets crazy a little bit. Paul says that Jesus came and he gave his life to separate, to, to tear down that wall of separation, regardless of what that wall is. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says in verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me before you. Okay, okay, Paul was... was uh, uh, writing. His, his name was Saul. He was actually persecuting the church, the people who were believing in Jesus. He's on his way to Damascus. God literally knocks him off of his high horse, and, and he, Paul has this conversion experience where now he, he believes in Jesus Christ, and so he is going to share that message now with non-Jews. That's what he's talking about. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. He goes on in verse 6 to say, this mystery is that through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, no separation. That was the separation in the ancient world. It was between Jews and non-Jews. We're in a, in a world now where there's all kinds of separation and, and Paul is saying that separation is done away with in Christ. We're members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Look, folks, there doesn't need to be anything that separates us. I don't care whether it's class. I don't care whether it's color. I don't care whether it's what part of town you're in. It doesn't make any, nothing needs to separate us. Jesus Christ has come that we would not be separate. Remember I said that Paul actually prayed a couple of times for the Ephesians church, for the church at Ephesus. One time he prayed, in the first part of chapter 2, he prays that the eyes of our understanding would be open. How many of you know sometimes we just don't understand people? We need the eyes of our heart to be open. He prays about that. The second prayer is right here in chapter 3. For this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father. That's a picture of Paul praying. 
from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I want, God's saying, I want your inner being to be strengthened. In other words, you can have joy, you can have peace, you can have hope, even in a glum, gloomy world. Well, I'm glad you all said that because half of you are going, really? Yeah. There's strength in our inner man. We can, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of difficulties, we can have peace. I pray that out of his glorious riches. How how many of you think God's going to run out of glorious riches anytime soon? Not happening. That ain't going to happen. He's not going to run out of his glorious riches. That he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ dwells in our heart through faith. That's not difficult. We ought to believe. So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, hang on, hang on, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Does that just make me want to dance? I mean, think about that. And to know his love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Sometimes God's word preaches to the preacher while he's preaching look at this I've never seen this I've never seen this and to know this love that surpasses knowledge how many of you know something how many of you know something about somebody that makes you go that scoundrel it's all good but that Bob I know stuff about Bob that you all don't know about Bob. You know, Bob's cool, but I know stuff about Bob. Look at this. Look at this. I've never read this before. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Christ is, and to know this love that surpasses Knowledge. That's good. That's good. His love surpasses knowledge. And regardless of what I know about Bob, regardless of what I know about him being a scoundrel, I can still love him. There's a depth to that. There's other Bobs in the room too. I I can probably quit pointing at you. Um, that you may be filled to the full measure of God, that we could be filled up inside. We don't have to walk around with all that garbage inside. You know how many people you know junk about? And you want to look at them and go, uh. but if we know the depth and the height and the breadth and the width of Christ's love, we, that will surpass the knowledge that you know about them and you can walk in love towards them, right? Doesn't that give us hope? Doesn't that give you hope for everybody you know? I'm not even supposed to preach this morning. I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord. Paul was a prisoner in two ways. First of all, he was literally in prison at this time. But he was in prison because of preaching the gospel. And he felt compelled because of the gospel to serve God. So he was a prisoner for the Lord. I believe Paul would have considered himself a prisoner for the Lord whether he had been in prison or out of prison. As a prisoner of the Lord, grab this, please grab this. I laid awake last night for about three hours. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. You're going to hear a couple things here in the next 40 minutes or so. Bob's going to share, and then I'm going to get back up and share. 
But I want us to grab a hold of this truth this morning. If we really believe that God's word is for us and it speaks to us, we're supposed to hear it and we're supposed to do something about it. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. We don't just get to come to church and go, ah, you know, that was a good message, pastor, thanks. And then go off and live like hell the rest of the week. Right? If we do that, the Bible says, we are hearers of the word and we deceive ourselves. It's not about deceiving the person next to you. not about pulling the wool over the pastor's eyes. Guess what? I'm not going to be the one who sits in judgment of you. It's about deceiving ourselves. Paul says that we need to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I'm going to have Bob come forward this morning. Bob is going to share a testimony with us. He's uh, interacted with a few scoundrels in his life. (laughs) And I know you want to go down there, but I'm going to help you get up here so that everybody can see you. How's that? I'm going to be your your railing. I don't do well without a... I know, I know, and and I'm okay with that. Okay, Okay. I'm good. You're good? I'm going to give you a... I'll use your notes. Yeah, you use my notes. I'm taking notes. (laughs) I I got another half to preach when you're done. Give Bob a hand. Let's welcome him. I'd like to do a few uh, a quick announcement for Celebrate Recovery that meets here every Tuesday from 6.30 to 8. If you've got some habits, some hang-ups, some hurts in your life or addictions, feel free to come and join us and see something in the way we work. I think you'd be pleasantly surprised. I met Chris about 12 years ago. He's thrown in jail because he did some really bad things. And when he's in jail, he got to go to treatment. Meanwhile, his wife divorced him, took their two boys. He had little, little or no visitation. He got fired from a very, very good job. His parents turned their back on him, wanted little or nothing to do with him because of his lying and stealing. And just when you think things couldn't get any worse, the state of Minnesota filed seven felonies against them for interstate, interstate credit card fraud, and each felony contained a sentence of three years in prison. So figure it out, he's looking at 21 years in prison. Chris did a lot of things wrong, he really did. But he got in treatment, he started to do a few things right. He met a guy named Joe. Joe was his sponsor, spiritual advisor, mentor, accountability partner, call it what you want. And Joe took him by the hands and led him in the right direction. Joe, a very humble Christian man with good faith, reminds me of you, Scott. Scott always like like him. The one thing he got, to, got him involved in was he got him a key for the first Lutheran church in Dilworth. There isn't too many people with seven felonies to get a key for the church. He would open that meeting every Thursday, make the coffee, lay the stuff out for the meeting, lock her up, and go home. He faithfully did this every Thursday. He never missed a meeting. He was fortunate enough to keep his driver's license through some procedural errors by the driver's license division, so he had a car and a driver's license. Every, about three, four times a week, he'd haul four or five guys around to meetings in the Fargo-Morn area for drug and alcohol rehabilitation. Now, the other thing he did, he went to the juvenile center in Moorhead and spoke to the detainees. He was doing a lot of things right, he really was. But Joe got sick, really sick. He got cancer, and a cancer metastasized through his system. And he had to go to Rochester. And he wasn't sure if he'd live or not. It's, the cancer was that bad. And he went to Chris, and he says, Chris, 
you're at a delicate spot in your recovery. You need a sponsor. Without that sponsor, there's a good possibility you may slip back in your old ways and backslide. You have to get a sponsor. He said, I pray you get a good one, Chris. So Chris went looking for a sponsor. Chris came to me one day, he said, Bob, will you be my sponsor? I said, Chris, normally I'd jump at the chance to be somebody's sponsor. But I've been burned so many times. They promised me they're going to go to church, they're going to go to meetings, they're going to call me. All I am is a name they give their probation officer, and I never hear from either one again. So before I take anybody as a sponsor, they're going to have to do three things. Trust God, clean house, and help others. Without that, I don't take them. I don't spend my wheels with somebody who don't want help. Chris says he could do that. I says, oh, by the way, there's a couple other things I'd like you to do also. I'd like you to call me two or three times a week for two or three months. So there's some accountability in your life, and you make an effort to work with other people. So you get out of self. He said he'd do that. I said, you know, I do a lot of volunteer work with the Salvation Army in Fargo. That's where I go to church. I said, I'd like to help me to help you on, I'd like you to help me on Sunday afternoons during the five o'clock meal. Like to get here about three o'clock and we'd work with the cook what he needs and make the coffee, uh, water in a cooler in the ice, uh, put the stuff around, load the chair, put the chairs around the building, uh, uh, put the chairs around the tables. And then we call work the door. Well, that between 80 and 120 people come there for supper every Sunday night. And a lot of them are going to come drunk. And we have to turn them away as politely as we can because past experience has told us that being impaired doesn't really do good. There's a lot of troubles. And some are going to want to go to treatment. So we take them to detox at Gladys, Gladys Ray Treatment Center just a few blocks away. And some are going to be belligerent. They're going to yell at us, swear at us, call us racist and whatever else. We usually have to call the police then, and that usually defuses it. And if it doesn't, they get a free ride in a police car. So that's just the way it goes. Chris was doing all the right things, all the right things. Come me Monday, and he visibly shake, and he said, Bob, I'm scared. I'm really scared. He said, I got a call from my attorney last night, and I have to go to jail, I have to go to trial in Chaska, Minnesota. And the future doesn't look very good. I said, Chris, I'm going to take a page out of your playbook. You always tell me, <coughs> excuse me, it is what it is. There's nothing we can do about it, Chris. But the only thing we can do is turn it over to God. We have to trust God and let go. I said, you pray for guidance and direction, Chris. I will pray for guidance and direction for you also. Chris, the, the day before we was going to go to court, in Chaska, six of us went out to eat. Chris's father, his mother, they were divorced. She married a guy named Wally, my wife Sharon, Chris and I. I don't remember a lot about that night. It wasn't happy, it wasn't sad, it was just a night. Next day we were in the courthouse waiting to go in the courtroom. It was six of us sitting in a chair, or bench, I mean, waiting, waiting to go in there. And the clerk of court come over to Chris and he says, <clears throat> Mr. So-and-so, the prosecuting attorney and the defense attorney would like to speak to you in one of the conference rooms. And Chris looked at me and like, I've got no idea, Chris. And then they come over to me and he says, Mr. Speech, they would like to speak to you also. So Chris and I went down to the conference room. They asked us a bunch of questions, mostly to Chris. He only asked me a few. Then the prosecuting attorney says, how do you plan to play? Chris is guilty, because I am guilty. He said, do you have anything to say? 
And Chris just said, I'm really sorry for what I did, and I cannot change that. But I, if it takes the, the rest of my life, I will try, com, try to make amends for what I've done wrong. They thanked him, and he said, Mr. Speech, is there anything you'd like to say? I said, yeah. I said, sometimes justice can be better served by a person not going to prison. Here's a guy that's working in different facets of the community, doing the meetings on Thursday at First Lutheran in Dilworth, giving people rides to meetings to and from to work on their sobriety, going into juvenile detention center and speaking to the detainees, helping us at the Salvation Army to a high degree. If by chance part of his sentencing is community service, community labor, call what you want, we at the Salvation Army would be happy to have him serve it with us because he's doing it anyway. They thanked us and we went out and sat and the benches went in the courtroom. All the cases come and went, come and went. A few got to go home. Most of them were handcuffed and let off to prison. Chris was called together and the judge, judge asked him how he pleaded. He said, guilty as charged, Your Honor. The judge says, do you have anything to say before I pass sentencing? He said, just said, I'm sorry for what I did and I cannot change it. Then the judge said something like this. <clears throat> he says, it's very difficult for me to understand the innards of each case. I can only go along with the prosecutor and attorney and what he recommends, but we also have guidelines in the state of Minnesota. When you know what the guidelines are for your felonies, there's three years in prison for each one. The prosecuting attorney and a defense attorney, combine your seven felonies into one. So they would, the other six would write in on the curtails of the one. So we're only going to prosecute you as one felony. And the prosecuting attorney made some recommendations that do not fall within the guidelines that the state of Minnesota has prepared for me and told me about. It's very difficult for me to deviate from those guidelines. But young man, I'm gonna take a chance with you. Instead of sending you to prison, I'm gonna sentence you to 90 days in the Chaska jail. You served 27 already, so all you gotta do is serve 63 more. <laughs> and the Chaska jail does this, their policy. For every two, two days you stay clean, they give an extra day. So the justice, so really what that means is instead of 60, Three days you got to serve, you get by with 42. Also, though, I'm going to sentence you to 10 years of unsupervised probation. Is this something you could live with? He says, absolutely, Your Honor. <laughs> he says, well, <clears throat> go and do what you're doing, and I don't want to see you back here again. If you come back here again for the gross misdemeanor felony, says, I suggest you have a packed suitcase because you won't be leaving. Chris came over to me after and said, hug me, says, Bob, what happened? I said, Chris, God had to be in it. That's the only thing I know. I said, there's no other way for this to happen without the love of Christ, you know. So where's Chris today? Let's fast forward. He, he got off his 10 years of probation. He's no longer serving probation. He got. Two weeks ago, see, I got one here. I gave Chris a 12-year medallion. He's been clean and sober for 12 years. He has beautiful rapport with his ex-wife. His two boys played football for Bloomington High School. He went down every game. He takes them fishing every summer. He has an unbelievable rapport with them. And one of them graduated from Bloomington High School this year, and he's enrolled in NDSU, so he can be by his dad. The part-time job he had at Anchor Treatment Center in Moorhead, he went back to college, got his degree, 
He's now director of that treatment center. His parents who turned his back on him now welcome with an open arms. The prodigal son has come home. Chris and I talk about this sometimes. I said, Chris, remember the promises they made when you come in this program? And me, when I came in the program, they go something like this. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. And no matter how far down the scale you've gone in your life, you can discover how your experience can help and benefit others in their lives. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will dissipate. Fear of money and economic insecurity will leave you. You suddenly realize that God is doing for you what you could not do for yourself. Wow. What a beautiful ending that a story that could have been tragic. And we owe it all for the grace of God and a miracle of programs like Celebrate Recovery. So if you want to know more about Celebrate Recovery, <coughs> Celia Smith is here. Uh, Scott is here, and Pastor Tim will lead you in the right direction. I'll be around for a few minutes after the meeting, and if anybody got any questions you want to ask me, I'd be more than happy to have them help them if I can. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Just take it with you. Huh. Now I got his notes. Okay. Um, you know, we've got about 15 minutes. And the reason I had Bob share, the reason I had him share is because that's a picture. That's a picture of what we're talking about. When God sets you free and he changes your life, we need to do something with it. How many days sobriety you got, Bob? 43 years, 4 months, and 11 days Yeah. <laughs> so... He has opted to do something with his sobriety that changes others' lives. And now, because of that type of discipline in his life, somebody else has got 12 years, and they're changing other people's lives. Amen? That's what, that's what, that's what this is about. I believe that's what Paul is talking about by being a prisoner of the Lord. Again, we've got about 15, maybe 20 minutes, and I want to share something with you this morning that seems to deviate a little bit from that, but the reality is it, it, if we get to the end, you're going to see that it, it follows very closely. Um, I received a, uh, a letter the other day, um, a four-page document, from the Minnesota Family Council. Now, most of you know if you've been here for any time, I'm not a highly political person. I just don't go down that road, and I don't do politics from the stage, okay? However, as a body and as a people group, we need to understand some things, some things that are going on in our government, some things that are going on in our Congress, uh, the House of Representatives, and, the, and the, the Senate. We need to understand those things. So I'm going to share a letter from the Minnesota Family Council. Hallie, if you could put that passage of Scripture up, please. Passage of Scripture comes out of the book of Genesis. And it, it is written, it's this way. It's Genesis chapter 1, verses, uh, verse, part of verse 1 and part of verse 2. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in, his, in the likeness of God. Next screen. He created them male and female, and he blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. We're going to leave that passage of Scripture up for about the next 15 minutes, okay? I'm going to share with you what the Minnesota Family Council has sent out. Um, and although I've not read the bill before Congress, I want you to know that I've researched Minnesota Family Council, and they're a very, very strong Christian-based, Christ-based group. Uh, and, and I'm just going to tell you straight up, this is a fundraising letter, not for them, but for somebody else, okay? And I'm not going to raise funds for anybody, but I want you to hear what's going on. 
Imagine a world in which we are not allowed to use the words that we have highlighted on the screen from the Bible passage above. We are inching ever closer to that reality. The deceptively named Equality Act in Congress right now wants to erase the concept of male and female from our society. The writer of this letter says, how do I know that? Because in a 31-page bill focusing largely on sex and gender, neither word appears. Let me define gender for you. Gender is used to define a range of identities. It is an individual's personal sense of who they are. An individual's personal sense of who they are. You will find the authors of this bill have a lot to say about gender identity, about sexual characteristics, about sexual desire, but will not acknowledge that there are two unique biological realities, male and female, established by God at creation. In their denial of basic human biology, uh, excuse me, but their denial of basic human biology is not the worst part. Even worse, the Equality Act weaponizes the federal government against any and all dissent on this topic. Do you hear what that says? What that says is if I disagree and if I want to use the word male and female, the federal government can prosecute me. It weaponizes them. It gives them the ability to arrest people. Is that their intention immediately? I don't know, but the bill gives them that potential. You have to realize that there are churches all across the world, not just in the United States, all across the world where persecution is taking place because people are standing up for what the Bible says is real, especially in terms of, of biological sex, male and female. Those, that's, that distinction is happening all around. Uh, you, uh, he says, you can't tell from reading this, but there was a long pause in the white space between these paragraphs, this paragraph and the previous one. I had to take a deep breath. These are heavy and dark days. It would be easy to despair, but I will not give in to that emotion, and neither should you. We have reason to be thankful and reasons not to stand idly by and do nothing. The main reason I'm thankful is because I've seen the end of the story, and spoiler alert, Jesus wins. Amen? Amen. And I am also thankful, and he goes on to talk about a company called True North Legal uh, exists, and they are putting some initiatives together to stand against this bill. Difficult times are upon us. More of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ will be persecuted for daring to hold biblical beliefs on God's design for men and women. I'm going to take that a step farther, and I'm going to say that one of the other difficulties that is upon us has to do with our children, and in my case, grandchildren. Because what is going on is the... The, if this becomes law, then there's no longer the teaching of male and female in school. The teaching instead is you just hang around and see how you feel, and by the time you're 12 or 13, you can tell us whether you want to be male or female. Now listen. This is real, okay? I'm not trying to blow smoke here, and I'm not trying to raise money. I'm telling you, this is real. This is really going on around us. Um, he goes on here and he says, today I'm asking you to help sustain and build up True North Legal. Okay, I'm, I'm going to skip the fundraising part of it. I personally no longer use the terms, this is me personal, it's not in his letter, I personally no longer use the terms Republican and Democrat when it comes to political ideologies. I don't believe that there's really that distinction anymore. What I do personally believe in is that we have conservatives and we have liberals. And I think the conservatives are trying to get more conservatives and, the, and the, the liberals are getting far more liberal. I don't think we can just call them Republicans and Democrats anymore. That's my, per, my personal conviction. The left claims to believe in science, but the Equality Act is a blatant rejection of clear scientific fact. Science, it turns out, is only useful 
to the left until it conflicts with their agenda. Then out it goes. The biological reality that humans are created immutably male and female is an inconvenient truth to those who quote-unquote feel like they are something other than how they have been created. What's really important to them is forcing others to agree with their self-delusion. That's what this bill is about. It's not about what I believe about myself. It's not about what you believe about yourself. It's about you forcing me to believe what you believe about yourself. We have argued repeatedly that there's more to being a woman than feelings, clothing, makeup, and hairstyle, and to pretend otherwise is about as anti-woman as you can be. And make no mistake, the Equality Act is very bad news for women. For decades, we have been making progress in bringing real equality that acknowledges the crucial differences inherent in men and women. Opportunities for female athletes have been expanded and our understanding of how to diagnose, treat, and prevent health issues that impact women differently from men have evolved. That is incredibly true. You cannot go in and say, I have abdominal pain and I act like a man and yet be a woman and have that be the same issues, right? There are different issues, different things going on inside that could create very, very difficult problems. The Equality Act is a... I want you to understand something. The Equality Act is not new. It was attempted under another name eight years ago, okay? Only this has gone farther and it's gone from just the Equality Act to the weaponization, to... to where we are, um, where there are legal consequences now for disagreeing with this. Again, we're to the point where it's illegal to even disagree with it. The Equality Act is a giant leap backwards since it throws all that, uh, it throws all of that out and it says, gender is self-defined based on feelings and has nothing to do with biological reality. If this strikes you as ludicrous, well, it should. And it has several severe consequences, which young women are already experiencing when they lose athletic competitions and have to share bathrooms and locker rooms and showers with boys who are pretending to be girls. How long until women have no space left into which a man who identifies himself as a woman cannot invade? This is a sexual predator's dream and every woman's nightmare. And then there's the matter of how this will be used against people who point out how absurd and dangerous the the denial of this reality is. Once, hear this, please hear this. Once sexual orientation and gender identity becomes a protected class in the federal non-discrimination law, dissent will become punishable by the state. We have a couple of gentlemen over here who are black, if I discriminate and will not allow them to rent a property from me simply based on their skin color, it is discrimination and I can be sued for that. And that's right, okay? But when we take the step and we say just by gender identification, you get to decide, this now becomes a, a uh, federal case and I can be prosecuted for that. Beyond that, if you look at the, the gender dysphoria, you look at the gender um, uh, issues that are out there, there are some 500 different identifications, one being gender fluid. I get to change from day to day depending on how I feel and where I'm at. This is, this is unbelievable that we're here, okay? This is a sexual predator's dream. For those of us who believe that marriage should be between one man and one woman and that the reality of biological sex trumps feelings, we surely feel that the power of the state comes down on us. We do not want to use somebody's preferred personal pronouns. Preferred personal pronouns. Raymond. Uh, Raymond sends me a letter and uh, he says, Pastor Tim, 
um, you know, this is what I believe is going on in our community, da 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 signed Raymond Schaefer, PPP, preferred personal pronoun, her, she. Means when I speak about Raymond, I have to call him or her. Raymond came into my office and she wants us to know If this law passes, folks, that is punishable by law if I don't do that. You understand that? Kevin, you've got people applying for jobs all the time. All they've got to do is sign PPP, him, he, whatever, and you have to call her from the counter in front of people. You have to call him a her or it's punishable. Look, I don't, I don't do this very often, folks. If you've been here for any amount of time, you understand I do not pick up political things like this. But we need to understand this is not about politics. This is about changing our culture. It's about flipping our culture upside down. I have a daughter. Think you're not, you're not a she or a her? All right. What's that? Sure. We are in a very, very difficult, difficult place. Um, if we believe we do not want to place... Here, l- listen to this. Part of our beliefs. For those of us who believe that marriage should be between one man and one woman, that the reality of biological sex trumps feelings, we surely f- uh, feel the power of the state coming down on us. You don't want to place a child with a homosexual couple. Here comes the state to force you out of the adoption service business. You don't want to teach that gender is fluid, but instead that we're created biologically male and female from conception. There is no place in the public school system for that. Legislation, um, legislation where, okay, you don't want to, as a business, you don't want to print a pro-LGBT message on a t-shirt it's discrimination, and the cancel culture mob will come after you, and now so will your government. You're in the wedding cake business, and you don't want to make wedding cakes for gay couples. Now that's going to be punishable. Listen to this. You deny your minor, child, minor child's request to undergo sexual reassignment surgery or begin puberty blockers, the government may take your, your custodial rights away. Do these examples seem far-fetched? I want to read you this next underlined statement. They've all already happened because of a state or a local ordinance similar to the Equality Act. Those are not far-fetched things. They're happening. They're happening. How much more will they occur if the Equality Act becomes a federal law and is enforceable everywhere in our nation with the full power of the federal government behind it. The Equality Act is a direct assault on our First Amendment rights and it is a blatant attempt to suppress our rights to free speech and religious freedoms. For centuries, the law has been on the side of religious religious freedom, but the left is working hard to rewrite the law and punish governments to change sides and pushing the government to change sides. Their goal is to criminalize the values and beliefs to make it illegal to tell the truth about God's design for men and women. Imagine half the country declaring that up is down and forbidding that anyone say otherwise. That's the point right there. It's that our government wants to forbid us the right to speak truth. For the love of all that's good, right, and true, we must stand up and speak out. We have to do whatever we can to expose this dangerous nonsense for what it is, and to warn those who support it of the calamity that is coming if it is not only embraced, but enforced. In the Old Testament, Joseph warned the Egyptians that famine was coming, and Pharaoh recognized the wisdom of that warning, and he gave the necessary authority to prepare for it. And because of Pharaoh's belief, Joseph's wisdom and careful planning and the blessing of Almighty God, many lives were spared, including those of Joseph, his father, and his brothers who would become a great nation. Our call is now to warn of what is coming in hopeful anticipation that some will listen 
and prepare either way for changing for the challenging season ahead. He goes on and he says, will you continue to join us by speaking out in your circles and by helping us build a strong line of defense? In the past, most of the horror stories mentioned above have happened in left-leaning states with a long history of antagonism towards people of faith, like California, New York, and Massachusetts. We have only heard of a few such situations here in Minnesota, but every year we are seeing more attempts to introduce this kind of extreme legislation where we live, even while we watch the Equality Act pass the House of Representatives. This bill has already passed the House of Representatives. It is currently headed towards the Senate. The United States Senate is a 50-50 split, and the tie-breaking vote is our very, very liberal vice president. Okay? Are we doomed? No, there are plenty of people who are standing up against this. But I'm here to tell you the fate of our nation rests in the hands of 101 people. We get that, right? We get that. The fate of our nation, I believe, our freedoms, what we live, what we believe, rest in the hands of 101 people. A famine of rational thought, morality, and protection for the vulnerable is coming and indeed is already here in some form. We have to be wise stewards of the freedoms that we have and prepare to defend them from further erosion. Everyone's freedom and safety of our dignity of, and the safety and the dignity of our mothers and our sisters and our daughters and our granddaughters depend on it. If you want more information about True North Legal, you can get that from me. But I'm here to say, listen, one more. P.S. Do not be fooled. The Equality Act is an attempt to weaponize the federal government against people who believe that God created man in his own image, male and female, and that he ordained marriage between one man and one woman. The left wants to erase these facts and rewrite the rules to fit their misguided idea. No matter what the cost to its children, to women, or to religious liberty, if they are successful in passing this, the courts will decide the fate of men and women like you and me who will not call up, down, and who will not call wrong, right. As a nation, we are in a battle. Whether you believe that or not, whether you want to get into politics or not, does not make any difference. When I lived in Hibbing, we had a driver who used to drive every day to International Falls. And the Weather Bureau used to put up the map of the state of Minnesota, and International Falls was here, and they had International Falls over by Roseau. And he got so mad he'd come to work every Monday. You still got International Falls over by Roso. And I remember saying to him one day, call him. Tell him that International Falls is not Roso. He comes back one day, he's like, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, they put International Falls back where it belongs. <laughs> I said, why did they do that? He said, I called them and they told them that every person that called in represented 10,000 viewers television station changed where International Falls was because one man called and he, it was equivalent to 10,000 viewers. Hallie, will you please put those numbers up? We have two state senators, Senator Amy Klobuchar and Senator Tina Smith. And I believe Senator Tina Smith is very hostile towards Christianity, but I think we can flood her office with phone calls. We have a friend in this church who actually does that on a regular basis. His name is Bob Spees, the man who was just up here. He calls those numbers and he lets people know that we do not support the Equality Act. We do not support the Equality Act. We want you to know we do not support the Equality Act. You can make phone calls. You can pray. Pray. You can inform yourself to not be deceived. Inform yourself. Inform people around you. People go, oh, it's easy. They just want everybody to be equal. I understand. That all sounds nice and rosy. But the reality is, I do not want a man in a dressing room with my granddaughter. Amen. Got it? I don't want that. And you shouldn't want it either. Because it just goes downhill from there. So let's close in prayer. Um, 
Again, I understand that this is not how we normally do church. The reality is stuff like this could actually get blocked if we go whatever. I don't really care. God, I thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, we bring our nation before you right now. We bring our president before you right now. God, I pray that you would move mightily in his life. I pray, God, that you would wake him in the still of the night when it's absolutely dead silent, God, that you would appear to him and he'd have a revelation of who you are and he'd come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. God, I pray the same thing for our vice president. God, that we would experience love so much that it overwhelms our knowledge of the system. I pray, God, that you bring our country back to a righteous nation. We've said that we're a Christian nation, but we don't act like it. We don't believe it. We don't, we don't live that out. And God, I pray that we would begin to live that out. You, God, by the power of your, your spirit, you'd draw us back. You'd draw us back from the, from the top to the bottom. God, I pray for our mayor, for our governor. God, we disagree in so many ways with him, but I pray, God, that you'll bring a reality of Jesus Christ to him that he cannot deny it. He cannot deny it. Lord, I pray for salvation to come to his door. Your word says we should pray for repentance to come to their door. And God, that's what I believe. That's what I ask you for. Lord, we pray a hedge of protection around this great nation. We ask you, God, to bring us back, to bring us back, to bring us back to a place where we truly do serve God. Understand that our feelings are not the beginning and end of truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. And your word says that, that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Bring us back to that, oh God. Bring us back to that as a nation. Bring us back to that as a church, God. Lord, I just ask you to move and to protect our nation, to protect our women, our children, our grandchildren, our daughters. Father, please do not let this lunacy pass in our nation's capital. Bring us back to a place of right standing with you through the blood of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name.